This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org ut. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. Let me tell you for a second what REF is, okay? So REF is a community of students, and we're trying to learn how to love God, and we're trying to learn how to love our neighbors. Because what we believe is that Jesus is the embodiment of love. And so what we do is this. Every Wednesday night, we meet in this room for a large group, and then throughout the week, we meet in small groups and one-on-one in order to first remind one another of how much God loves us, in order that we might rest in his love. And so what I want you to do tonight is rest. And I want you to breathe in and exhale God's love for you, knowing that REF is not a community that is trying to get you to do more things, but actually to rest in the things that Jesus has already done for you. And if you're here tonight, no matter what you, who you are or what you believe or what you've done, I want you to know that you really are welcome here. And tonight we are continuing in our sermon series on the first 11 chapters of Genesis that we're calling The First Words. And that's because Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And so the first 11 chapters are God's first words to us. His first words on who he is, his first words on who we are, his first words on why we exist and why we're here in the first place. Genesis is season one, episode one. All right, I want everyone to close your eyes for a second. All right, everyone in this room, close your eyes. And I want you to imagine for a second that you're drowning in an ocean. It is nighttime, and it is pitch black outside, and you are drowning. You are drowning in a sea. It is a sea of midterms and papers and deadlines. It is a sea of fatigue and exhaustion, of late nights and early mornings. It's a sea of mixers and social pressures and fear of missing out. It's a sea of the blue light shining from your phone at all hours of the day and night, telling you that you have one more snap to open, one more TikTok to watch, one more text to respond to. And I want you to imagine that you've been drowning in the sea for as long as you can remember. And you've been treading water and you've been able to survive, but you're getting more and more tired to the point where you just kind of can't do it anymore. You're wearing out and the sea is beginning to pull you under. You can open your eyes now. I want you to imagine now that the sun comes up over the horizon and you catch a glimpse of an island. And you realize in the light that the island has actually been there all along. You just didn't know it. And it's only about 100 yards or so away. And here's what you see on the island, okay? On the island, you see uh, trees to climb, and you see, uh, you see streams to swim in. You see ponds you can go fishing in. You see basketball courts and hiking trails and tennis courts and a golf course. And you see a hammock that's sort of like draped between some palm trees And on that hammock, there's a book where if you can read if you'd like, or you can just take a nap. And also on this island, you see a church. And in that church, you see some people. And there's some people who look like you. There are also some people who don't look like you. And everyone sort of streams out of that church, and then they go to this row of houses. And they walk into these houses together, and they sit down at these long dining room tables, and they eat lunch, and they eat real food together. And you notice on this island that everyone just seems really relaxed. I mean, no one is in a hurry to leave. No one is wishing there were someone else, somewhere else. No one is watching the clock. I mean, this is the island that you see, okay? And do you know what this island is called? It is called the Sabbath. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. 
Two points tonight. The path to Sabbath and then the basics of Sabbath. So the path to Sabbath and the basics. A couple thank yous, people who have helped me with this, a guy named Eugene Peterson, a guy named Mark Buchanan. All right, first of all, the path to Sabbath. Turning back to the passage, first of all, you'll notice there are three passages tonight. That's because the Sabbath is a complicated idea in the Bible, so we'll kind of walk through them. But turning back to our Genesis passage, I want you to notice that the God of the universe, the God who created the moon and the stars and everything, the God who can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, stops. Look at verse 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested. I mean, isn't this fascinating that God rests? I mean, what does this mean? Does it mean that God is sleepy and that he needs, like, a nap? I mean, of course not. I mean, he's God. He doesn't get tired. So what does it mean that God rests? Well, we see here that rest for God has to be something more than just physical rest or taking a nap. It's something deeper. Rest here for God means being satisfied with what is finished. Being satisfied with what is finished. Because look again at verse 2 in Genesis. The key word in that verse is finished. God has finished his work, and now he's sitting back, and he's taking in the view. A few weeks ago, we said it's sort of like when you finish a meal at a nice restaurant, and you sit back in your chair, and you just talk about how good it was. And so we learn here the true definition of resting. When we think of rest, we think about taking a nap, but it's something more. True rest is to be satisfied with what is finished. Now, I want you to notice something interesting, and that is that the seventh day here in Genesis doesn't have a morning and an evening. All the first six days, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day, evening and morning second day. But we get to the seventh day, there's no morning, there's no evening. Why? Well, the Bible seems to be telling us that this seventh day actually continues forever. And that God is actually inviting us to enter the seventh day and to rest just like he does. And this is what we see in the Exodus passage. And this is where we first see Sabbath and that word in the Bible. Because in the Exodus passage, God is giving Israel the Ten Commandments. And and you get to commandment number five, and God says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. He's inviting his people to enter his rest. But I want you to look down there at Exodus and look at the first verse there. Look at why the Israelites are told to rest. This is really important. Look at the context of the Ten Commandments. Have you ever thought about the Ten Commandments and what the context of them is? Here it is. God says to Israel, you're to rest because I have rescued you from slavery in Egypt. As many of you know, one of the darkest chapters in Israel's history, hundreds and hundreds of years, they're in slavery in Egypt. But then God rescues them and he delivers them. And so in Exodus, God is saying, you can take a Sabbath because slavery is finished, and, 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 and Egypt and Pharaoh is finished. I've defeated them. It's over. Creation, finished. Egypt, slavery, Pharaoh, finished. But then we get to this last, we get to Jesus, okay? We get to Jesus later in the Bible, and Jesus expands our vision of Sabbath even more. 
Because Jesus comes onto the scene, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Why would he say that? Why would Jesus identify himself with Sabbath? Because what Jesus is saying is, I have come to bring you true and lasting rest. I have come to rescue you and to set you free, not just from slavery in Egypt, but from every form of slavery. The slavery of sin, the slavery of addiction, the slavery of loneliness and isolation, of of illness and disease, death, any form of slavery, you name it. I've defeated it through the cross and through my resurrection. And that is why in our John passage, the third and final passage, Jesus' last words before he dies, what does he say? It is finished. So the Sabbath is about taking one day out of seven to be satisfied with what is finished. Creation, finished. Egypt, finished. But then Jesus, sin and death, finished. And you would think that this would be good news to us and that we would see the Sabbath as like a gift. But instead, we think of the Sabbath as this great burden. I mean, it's something that makes us feel guilty. And, and, and why is it that none of us or very few of us actually take a Sabbath? I mean, why? Well, ultimately, it's because we don't believe Jesus when he says it's finished. I mean, we don't actually believe that Jesus is enough for us. And so what do we say? We say, I need to do more. I need to do more school. I need to make better grades. I need to go to this social event or this dead ball or Mardi Gras or this thing out of town, whatever it is. Ole Miss, y'all love going to Ole Miss. It's so funny. I I talked to a college student. I'm like, where are you going this weekend? They're like, Ole Miss. I'm like, that's cool. Um, So, uh, but again, we're, we're constantly filling our weekends with all these things that we say that we need to do so that we will feel important and we'll feel smart and we'll feel successful and we'll feel like we matter. When we do not believe Jesus is enough, I mean, the thought of a Sabbath becomes ridiculous. How could I possibly take a whole day off? I mean, we don't even want to take an hour off. Isn't it amazing that God takes a day off, but we don't? I mean, do we think that we are better than God? I mean, actually, I think that we do. We do think we're better than God, because think about it. When we refuse to rest and when we refuse to Sabbath, we're basically making ourselves our own God. I mean, we're saying, God, you don't actually know what's best for me. You say I could take a day off and it would be fine, but that is not true. I must study for this test. You don't know. You don't actually know what's going on in my life. You don't know how hard this class is. You say I can stop, but I can't. And so the path to Sabbath, the path to Sabbath is ultimately us letting God be God and taking him at his word when he says to us, you can take a day off. It is okay. And believing that he will be enough for us. The path to Sabbath is trusting Jesus when he says it is finished. It's really finished. The path to Sabbath is about believing that maybe God knows what is best for us more than we do. It's kind of like one of my seminary professors like to say, 
This is one of his favorite lines. He used to say on Sabbath, God can do more in six days than we can do in seven. I want you to think about that. God can do more in six days than we can do in seven. We think if I don't work every day of the week, it will never get all done. And God says, watch me. I can do more in six days than you can do in seven. Trust me. Path to Sabbath is being satisfied in what's finished. It's being satisfied in believing Jesus when he says it's finished. That's the path. Let's look secondly now at the basics of Sabbath. What are the basic building blocks of beginning to live this sort of Sabbath life? And here they are. Playing, praying, and paying attention. Playing, praying, paying attention. Playing, praying, paying attention. First of all, playing. Uh, remember back on Sabbath Island that there were basketball courts and there were hiking trails and there were tennis courts and there was a golf course. Why? And that is because one of the things that you're invited to do in Sabbath is just to play. And what is play? Uh, I mean, play is basically an activity that is pointless. Play is any activity that doesn't have some productivity or sort of some goal or aim attached to it. You're just playing. And who knows how to play more than anyone else? Kids, right? So it's kind of like this. Um, my son Sam, some, sometimes Sam and I will go and play golf in the yard, all right? And we'll kind of pull out his little miniature golf set, and we'll pull out the clubs, and, you know, Sam will hit, like, four balls, and then he'll start getting bored, and then he'll take the balls, and he'll start, like, organizing them by color and stuff, right? And uh, I'm like, this is pointless. Like, like, Sam, get over here. Like, and I'm trying to, like, give him a lesson. I'm, like, trying to, you know, stop sorting the balls. Let me teach you how to, like, hold the club and, like, how to swing, whatever else, right? And when I do that, we're, that is no longer play. That is, like, dad living vicariously through son and hoping he'll be a good golfer, right? I mean, I've attached this aim and this goal to Sam's play, right? And so play, again, is Sam just sorting the balls because he wants to, the second I come in, I make it not play anymore because I attach this goal to it. And it's so hard for us to play because we want everything in our life to be productive and to be useful. And so the thought of doing something that's just totally unproductive feels like suicide. I mean, it feels terrible. But the Sabbath is about being pointless and not accomplishing anything. Why? Because, again, Jesus has already accomplished it. And so you can just play. Mark Buchanan, uh, in his book, The Rest of God, here's what he says. He says, I have one rule for Sabbath. And here it is. Refrain from what is necessary and hold fast to that which gives you life. I'll say it again. Refrain from what is necessary and hold fast to that which gives you life. Here's what he's saying. On the Sabbath... You should take all of the shoulds and oughts of your life and throw them in the fire. If you think you should do it or you ought to do it, you don't have to do it. You just do what you want. You just do what gives you life. And, I mean, I don't know what that's going to be for you, right? I mean, for all of you, what gives you life is going to be different than what gives your neighbor life. It's kind of like on Parks and Rec. Um, Parks and Rec got me through my first two years out of college when I was like lonely and depressed and living in Virginia. But Parks and Rec, do you remember uh, Parks and Rec? Tom, there's, there's Tom and Donna and they have treat yourself day. You remember this. It's amazing. 
And on Treat Yourself Day, here's the idea of Treat Yourself Day. You just treat yourself. One day a year, you do whatever you want. And so uh, Donna goes out, Donna and Tom go out and get massages. And you'll remember that they buy fragrances and they buy fine leather goods. And, um, but I mean, again, the point is everyone can do something different on Treat Yourself Day. So you remember you have Ben, and he goes out and buys like a Batman costume. It's kind of weird, but like that's his thing. That's what gives him life. And so on the Sabbath, it's going to be different for all of you, but refrain from what is necessary. Hold fast to that which gives you life. Play. Because when you play, you're actually doing something really profound. You're, you're dressing up and you're dress rehearsaling for heaven. Because in heaven, it's going to be one big Sabbath party because there will be absolutely nothing left to accomplish. Play. Second, though, Pray. Pray. Remember on Sabbath Island, there's a church. And that's because there is and there should be this more explicitly spiritual dimension to Sabbath. See, uh, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was on Saturday. And to this day, um, many practicing Jews will still go to the synagogue on their Sabbath, which is Saturday. But Christians go to church on Sunday and historically take a Sabbath on Sunday. And why is that? Well, because Sunday is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Christians go to church on Sunday in order to remember the Lord of the Sabbath, in order to remember the, ones who, the one who actually allows us and paves the path for rest. And so Sabbath is this day when we spiritually recalibrate our hearts. We recalibrate them. Because all throughout the week, what happens? We live for ourselves. We live for our own glory. We live for our own popularity. We live for our own fame, whatever our selfish ends are. But then again, on Sunday, we're recalibrated. And we remember what we were made for. We remember who we were made to worship. And it is Jesus. And so on the Sabbath, you should go to church. And you should pray. And you should worship God and thank him for all that he has done. Pray. There's a spiritual dimension to the Sabbath. And when you pray and when you go to church, again, you're doing something really profound. Because again, you're playing dress up for heaven. When all we'll do, it'll be one big Sabbath and we will worship God forever. Play, pray, but then third, pay attention. Pay attention. Pay attention to a few different things. First of all, pay attention to creation. We've talked a lot this semester about creation and just the beauty of it, because this is a really, really big deal in the first couple chapters of Genesis. But in the Bible, uh, again, look, look at our Genesis passage. When does God take the Sabbath? He takes the Sabbath after he's finished making the world. And so his first Sabbath is about just sitting and basking in the glories of creation. And this is a clue for us, because, because in the Bible, the Sabbath is actually this really earthy thing. It's really earthy. I mean, look at the Exodus reading again for a second. In the Exodus reading, we see that even the livestock, I mean, the animals are supposed to get a break. And the land is supposed to get a break. Again, animals, land, everything is getting a break. The whole earth is getting a break. Sabbath is earthy. And so what does this mean for us? Well, this means that Sabbath is an invitation for us, like God, to just take in the view of creation. 
Sabbath is a really good day for just going outside and walking around and like looking at a tree or something and remembering that the world is way bigger than like this and our exams and our midterms, whatever we have going on, those things matter, but they are not the whole world. And so going outside on the Sabbath can give you perspective. Pay attention. Pay attention to the world you live in. But also pay attention to those around you that are in need. Pay attention to those in need. Because throughout the Old Testament, there's also this really deep connection between the Sabbath and people who are needy. And we see this also in the Exodus passage. Look at verse 10 in Exodus where it says, you don't work, your servants don't work, but also there should be no work for the sojourner within your gates. What is the sojourner? Well, the sojourner would be sort of like a Ukrainian refugee that has fled to another country. It is someone from a foreign nation who has come to live with the Israelites. And therefore, sojourners would have been more vulnerable than the rest of society. And God is saying, on the Sabbath, you take care of them. And, and you may know that in the Old Testament, there's actually sort of this Sabbath ladder in which God tells Israel, don't just take a Sabbath day every one day in seven, but also I want you to take Sabbath years. Every seventh year, I want you to stop and basically not grow any plants uh, and kind of let the ground lie fallow for a whole year. So there's a Sabbath day, then every seven years there's a Sabbath year. But then every 50th year, there was this thing called the year of Jubilee. So basically every seventh Sabbath year, seven times seven, 49, then you get to the 50th year, here's what would happen. On the year of Jubilee, if you owed anyone any money, think about this. You owed anyone any money. Your debt was completely wiped away. That's pretty good. Uh, if you were a slave, you were set free, period. Just done. That's pretty good. And so again, the year of Jubilee was just this total party for anyone that was in need. Anyone that was in debt, anyone that was enslaved. Again, needy. And that is why when Jesus comes along, do you know when he performs most of his miracles? I mean, he does many of them on the Sabbath. Why? Because in his miracles, he is always caring for someone or healing someone or, 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 or feeding someone who is in need. He's always practicing hospitality. So what does this emphasis on the needy mean for us when it comes to Sabbath? Because it's a really big emphasis of the Old Testament and for Jesus in the New Testament. Well, here's what it means. It means that for us, the Sabbath isn't just about receiving life, but it's also about giving life. And this is really important. The Sabbath is not just for receiving life but it's also forgiving it. And so on the Sabbath, a great question to ask yourself is, who can I give life to today? I mean, who can I, is there someone, is one of my friends hurting or lonely, and can I invite them to go on a walk? Is there someone I can take to lunch? Uh, is there some burden I can bear for someone else? Maybe they have a really stressful week coming up. Maybe they just had a stressful week. How can I care for them? How can I care for people around me that are in need? Because again, 
Sabbath, it's not just for receiving life, it's for giving it. Here's a quote I love from one pastor. He says, hurry and love are incompatible. Hurry and love are incompatible. When we're in a hurry, we cannot love because we cannot pay attention to the people God has placed in our lives. And so the Sabbath is this opportunity for us to stop hurrying so we can actually see other people. So we can actually see the other people in Hardin House or in SRD or at the fraternity house or the sorority house or wherever you're living. So you can actually look around. And I don't pretend to in any way be really good at this or an expert on this, okay? But let me just kind of walk you through uh, how my wife and I have tried to think about giving and receiving life to one another on the Sabbath. We don't do this great, but here's just an idea. All right, so um, Sabbath, when you have kids, it's really hard. Because little kids, like, never stop, right? They're like, I don't care what day it is. Like, I'm just doing my thing, change my diaper, right? And so um, for Emily and I to both, like, take a whole day off is pretty unrealistic, right? It's like, who's going to change the diaper? And so we have to really lean into this just, like, cycle of giving and receiving life. So this past Sunday, here's what we did. Um, I let Emily sleep in until, wait for it, 8.30, okay? I know it's very late. I let Emily sleep in until 8.30, and that's actually a huge gift when you're a young mom, all right? But then she returns the favor. She watched the kids then for a couple of hours while I went to exercise, because that's what I wanted to do to give life to myself. But then after that, I took back over, and I got Sam ready for church. And then we went to church, and then after church, one of our friends in town brought us Texas Honey Ham over for lunch. And she was giving life to us on the Sabbath. And then after lunch, uh, I treated myself and I watched golf on the couch until I fell asleep, right? And that's why I do a lot of Sundays. But then I woke up and I made dinner for the family. I got my act together. I made dinner for the family. Again, it's, it's, just, it's giving and receiving life. It's, t- it's giving and receiving. It's giving and receiving. I'm not saying we do Sabbath well, but I'm just saying when I've experienced the Sabbath the best is when there's this profound sense of us receiving life, but also giving it. Okay, well, let's begin to wrap up. So uh, to this day, probably my, the fa- my favorite days of my life beyond my wedding day or the birth of my children has been Sundays at Alpine Camp which is this all-boys camp in Alabama that I worked for for four summers in college. And this is basically a three-minute plug for Alpine. All right. So um, if you've ever worked at a camp, uh, you know that working at a camp is like a grind. It's really fun, but it is not easy. I mean, you wake up really early with the kids. You run around all day. You're physically, emotionally exhausted, and you don't get much time off. Like, it's basically like child slavery. You get, like, two days off the whole summer. And, uh, again, while it's really fun, it can also be kind of monotonous because you're just doing the same thing every day, same thing every day, same thing every day. And that was the deal at Alpine. I mean, it was the same thing, same schedule, literally every day, except for Sundays. And on Sundays, everything was different. On Sundays, the bell would ring an hour later, and everyone got to sleep in. On Sundays, it was everyone's favorite breakfast in the dining hall, pancakes. Uh, On Sundays, all the campers and counselors would dress up in different clothes, these all-white clothes that looked kind of like a cult, not going to lie, but also were really beautiful because they're a reflection, again, of the light of Christ. And we would all go to church. And then after, after church, all the counselors got to just play. 
it was, there was kind of this hour that was just for us. And so there would be this staff softball game where all the college counselors would basically just like grow out and be high school heroes and pretend like they're still good at baseball and, um, and just play. And all the kids would like sit on a hill down the first baseline and watch and you'd pretend like you didn't want to like hit, you know, hit a double for like the seven-year-old that you don't really care if you impress or not, but really like you want to look good for them, right? Um, and then on Sundays you would go to lunch and Sundays were the one day a week where they would serve ice cream after lunch. And then Sundays were the one day a week when there was an extended rest hour. Instead of one hour, you got two. And then on Sundays, after the kids went to bed, all the camp directors would have all the counselors over to, our, to their home, and we, we would eat Papa John's. And when you're at camp, Papa John's tastes like transcendent. It's amazing. <laughs> and we would just crush cookies and brownies, and then we'd sing hymns together. We'd just sing a lot of the songs that we sing at RUF. And the point is... Alpine taught me the rhythm of Sundays and that Sundays should feel different. It taught me to play. It taught me to pray. It taught me to pay attention. It taught me the rhythms of Sabbath, of giving life and of receiving it. And it really did give me a taste of heaven. Okay, y'all. So this Sunday, here's what's going to happen. The sun is going to come up and Sabbath Island will be waiting for you. And Jesus says to you tonight that when you wake up on Sunday morning, you can stop because it is finished and the work is done. And so you can just rest in his love. Or if you'd like, you can continue to drown in a sea, a sea of work and responsibilities and busyness and stress and anxiety and FOMO, and screens. It's up to you. You tell me which is better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you hold out this amazing gift to us, which is the Sabbath. And uh, Lord, we know that we're not saved or good Christians because we take a Sabbath, but we take a Sabbath because you've already saved us. It's all finished. You have done all the work necessary to defeat sin, to defeat death, And so I ask more and more that we might rest in his love, in your love, even as we say every week at the beginning of large group. Father, I pray for my friends as we head back out into the world that you would send your spirit ahead of us and all the different things we have going on. In Christ's name, amen.